Welcome to the Yoga Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Saraswati Clare, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and owner of Yoga Kula from the San Francisco Bay Area. Join us to hear from the world's leading experts on yoga, teachers, doctors, scientists, and scholars. To study more deeply with these inspiring teachers, check out the courses on our website, In this new era, where we have the opportunity to envision and create a new world, the practices of yoga help us to live more consciously so that we can create a better inner and outer world. To help others find us, please leave your comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Richard Miller. Richard Miller is the founder, executive director, and president of the board of directors at the IREST Institute. Richard Miller is a clinical psychologist, author, researcher, yogic scholar, and spiritual teacher. For over 40 years, Richard has devoted his life and work to integrating the non-dual wisdom teachings of yoga with Western psychology. Today, Richard will be talking about the healing power of meditation. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to talk with you. And um, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about this upcoming meditation course. I'm so excited about that. Well, I'm as excited maybe as you are to teach it because it's one of my favorite things to share with people. The course is really coming out of a very ancient map that was codified around four in the four ADs. And it comes out of the non-dual Shaiva tradition of yoga. Shaiva uh, is comprised of two Sanskrit words, she, which means one who is awake or enlightened, and va to their most essential nature. So the course is really a full-on exploration of the path of meditation that really encompasses the breadth of, we would say, Sankhya Patanjali Yoga, which really helps us understand ourselves as the observer that's unchanging amidst all the changing events that are going on within and around us, so that we find ourselves as this very stabilized presence that is able to be with and in a way transform through anything that we're experiencing. But the map goes further. It elucidates the teachings of Advaita non-dualism where we realize the events that are going on and around us that we take often to be so unchanging are even just in a way projections of our mind. We could say the world in this perspective is coming out of how we've assembled our beliefs about the way the world is. And we know when you put five people in a room together, there are five different belief systems. And sometimes everybody thinks they're they're sharing the same belief when in fact they're all on different pages. So the teachings of Advaita really help us awaken at an even deeper level, I would say. But the map goes another step further by bringing out what I call the unqualified 
non-dual teachings of this approach of Shaivism, where we're not just seeing things as expressions that are over there unchanged or changing. They're not just projections of the mind, but where everything is realized to be an expression of an underlying essence that we're not separate from, but that we can navigate and still feel ourselves as this very grounded presence essence. So Patanjali helps us feel ourselves as an observer who's separate from what we're observing. Advaita helps us realize we're observing projections that are coming out of our mind. Shaivism helps us realize ourselves as this essence that when we look around at everything, we realize everything that I see is actually myself in a different form. And I think that's the epitome of love. When we're able to look at another, like I'm looking at you, and in a way celebrate the difference of our expressions and yet feel that underlying essence that connects us with everything, then there's a great healing, I think, that takes place beyond what Patanjali proposed, even what I think of as the teachings of Advaita takes us to the deepest level of enlightenment and awakening. What I love about the map and the teachings are, it goes one step further. Because oftentimes the teachings of, say, Patanjali, Sankhya, Advaita are a little bit otherworldly. The world is seen as this changing, messy place, so don't get too involved in it. Put all your energy into feeling yourself as this witnessing presence. Well, the Shaivite teachings say, no, 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 no. It may be messy, but it's you. So let's dive deeply into it and learn how to navigate it. So it's really an awakening up, like I like to say, into our highest understanding and then awaking down into our humanness where we're embracing everything that we are, emotions, thoughts, and really truly learning how to navigate them. And it's a 38-stage map that during the course, I'm going to actually take people through experientially. So while I'll be presenting it, I'll be asking actually people to experience it as we're walking through it. And obviously I could spend several years walking through the map. So I'll be going through it, taking select pieces, like the bottom rung talks about the five elements. So why would we want to spend time contemplating five elements? Well, I'm not going to just explain why. I'm going to actually have people experience it so they can taste it and understand what that is really about. And we'll do that with the observer and with these different um, practices that are embedded in this map. So it's, it's a really lovely time to sit in community where we can ask questions and probe deeply into these ancient teachings, but bring them into our modern world. So we're really integrating them into our daily life where I would like to have people feel coming out of the course that something transformational has happened at a very deep level that they're taking then back into their own practices, whatever they may be doing, or 
just changing their daily life so they're integrating it as they're walking around all day long. It's, I'm so excited about it. It's <laughs> going to be so great. I wonder if you could tell us about, um, you know, I remember at a certain age learning about the human condition and sort of the learning of, oh, all minds are like this. Um, you know, I would look at other people who meditated and I would go, oh, I'm not going to be one of those people because my mind is different. My mind is like this. Yes. And I wonder if you could talk to us and also as a psychologist too of your understanding of the mind and the way in which we can create more suffering and how the these practices, this practice of meditation can help you become free or huh. freer <laughs> from... Well. I think of these practices or the practice of meditation or contemplation as a laboratory where we're getting to know our body, our senses, our mind, what is attention, what are emotions, what are thoughts, and how do we respond to them in a way that enables us to feel a deep sense of harmony. And more than that, a deep sense of confidence that whatever arises, I will be able to meet it, be with it, and understand how to respond, not react. So I think these teachings that I've spent, you know, the last 50 years learning, and it's really a compilation of both the Eastern and the Western perspectives, bringing them together. How do we draw the best from both modalities? I'm remembering what the Dalai Lama once said at the first conference where scientists came together with the Dalai Lama. And he said to them, if you can show me something that I'm not aware of that comes out of science that can make me a better human being, I will listen as best as I can. Would you be willing to listen to me if I could show you something <laughs> that could change your life? So I think it's that integration that I'm interested in and learning how to be good human beings where we're responsive to our emotions, our thoughts. We're not trying to get rid of them, but I learned a long time ago that they're messengers trying to deliver information that when we're able to stop and really listen, all the information we need to respond in a way that gives us a sense of harmony is there. We just need to learn how to listen and then respond. And so meditation, I think, ultimately has a paradox built into it. I'm learning how to be really comfortable with discomfort. Because life is messy, it is uncomfortable. And I'm learning how to be in a sense of equanimity and poise and well-being in the midst of the messy cacophony that life inevitably brings to our table on a daily basis, it seems. But that secret is understanding that equanimity that's unshakable. And that's what I think this map helps us understand. There's an unshakable, unbreakable, unchanging quality within us that once we realize it, and it is a recognition, it's not something that's over there that I'm bringing to me, it's already here. So I'm, in a way, mining it to the surface, recognizing it, embodying it. It gives me the stability and the confidence then to have that peace and well-being no matter what else 
I may be experiencing as a human being. So then we can say truly, yep, my mind may be like this, but I know how to work with it. And um, could you give us examples? It might be your, your own example or others you've heard of where people have suddenly had an experience of their essential nature. Like how would you recognize if you were having that experience? And it's, it's innate. It's, it's, as yeah. you say, it's, it's well, there's a really beautiful are. word in Sanskrit, R-T-A, Rutta. It means to have an, a, an experience, or more than that, where you feel both in harmony with yourself and with everything around us. So when we have that moment we might call enlightenment or a satori where we have a breakthrough moment of recognition of our essential nature... There's a moment where we feel in the flow or somehow everything just feels right in this moment. And we recognize something in that that's always been here. I may not always be able to sense it or feel it. And that's really what the practices are about, helping us be able to recognize and feel it in, in every day throughout our days. But... I remember very distinctly these early moments where these kind of breakthrough, where the window all of a sudden was thrown open, the doors were open, and I got a glimpse of my essential nature. And a moment before, I may have felt sad or depressed or irritable or lost, and all of a sudden, everything is crystal clear. Now, the window then closes, and I realize, okay, that was a glimpse. How do I get that back? And I know from my own experience in working with thousands of people, there's that possibility that one day the windows do get thrown open and they don't ever close. Now we have that deep sense of the peace that does surpass all understanding, and yet it's, it's there with us all day long. And I know I've navigated times of great grief when my parents passed or when a friend passed or sadnesses or times of real challenge. And yet I've found that that deep well-being has always been there and nothing can ultimately disturb it. And I think that's what we all are after at some level, a sense of a core happiness that's indestructible. And, and your experience too is um, working with your clients who have um, used meditation. Meditation has become part of a, you know, a healing process for them. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, how um, the process of meditation can um, really support your mental well-being and your... Well, I'll give an example. Years yeah. ago, a person came to me who was deeply depressed, knowing that I taught yoga nidra and meditation, and I was also a psychologist. So in our first time together in our first meeting, I asked her if she'd be willing to make an experiment, which I'll be doing during the course. And I invited her in through a series of inquiries into a very deep felt experience of simply being her own presence. And I have found within 10 to 20 minutes, everybody I've ever worked with has been able to touch this. And in that moment, she had a glimpse of something that wasn't depressed 
never been harmed or hurt and didn't need healing. Then from there, we began to explore her healing. What was instrumental to me is when she came back for her second time a week later, she said, I want you to know that that glimpse, that feeling of presence and indestructible well-being, it got covered over very quickly by my depression, but I left with the feeling of hope that there was a way through. And surely over the next number of months, she broke through her depression and we kept working and helping her restore that deep sense of well-being and being. So I know that there's something in all of us, no matter how much trauma or difficulty we've experienced, whether we're depressed or in grieving, there's something in us that has remained unbroken, that doesn't need healing. And once we can touch that, it provides the force from which we can meet everything else. And there is a wonderful man I met from Miami during one of our studies there with tremendous PTSD. And he said, I want you to know that every program I'd ever been in until I met your program, they always emphasized from the start what was wrong with me. You're the first program that was emphasizing what's right about me. And knowing what's right, I'm willing to look at what doesn't feel right. And he said, if only I'm working with what doesn't feel right, just not interested. So I think when we really look at the core of meditation, and it does from the very beginning, at least from my perspective, introduce us to what's right. Once we anchor into that, now we're really willing to take on what often does need healing in our mind or our body or our emotions or some past experience. As you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, how much we respond to love and um, being seen by someone and even being seen by ourselves to, to be able to um, recognize um, that power of love that is in all of us and the power of love that, um, you know, the more we kind of slow down, um, we are able to really see and feel rather than so many of us have got caught up in being on this kind of monkey wheel or, or mouse wheel running round and round and round and feeling disconnected because mm -hmm. um, we're not taking the time to connect. I think and I'm, I'm aware that when we initially slow down, sometimes the discomfort that's been there can start coming right. to the surface. So it's really important then that we have the tools with which to meet it, otherwise we can feel overwhelmed. And again, I think the tools of meditation, I'll be talking about them, help us have that confidence that when I slow down and the uncomforts start to come, I have the tools that I can meet them, greet them, welcome them, listen to them and know how to respond. I'm sure you've had many discussions with folks during this time of quarantine around the world, like what an amazing opportunity <laughs> to um, use this time to develop the skill and to be able to be more steady and stable. I, I've had many talks with many around the world and I have had many talks with myself in the mirror. Because <laughs> 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 we're all challenged by this time, especially. Yeah. And 
it is an opportunity, unfortunately, that to work these tools. But once this affair has passed, which it will, like everything else has, um, I actually just took a ring that I wear on my right hand. I took it to the jeweler and I'm having them inscribe on the inside and this too shall pass. There'll be something else for us to meet. Yes. There's always something coming. So it's really vital we do learn these skills in the good times as best we can. So when these difficult times come, we know we can meet them no matter what they are. Yeah, it's good to practice when things are not entirely in crisis so that when the crisis happens, we have already trained for this. Yeah. I mean, I have felt always so grateful discovering yoga and meditation that this is what these practices do. They, they create uh, such strength and uh, capacity to ride the waves. Yeah, I, I have an image that I've often taken to trainings, a large image of a surfer. And I think of yoga and meditation as we're learning to surf the tiny little waves first, then bigger and bigger and bigger ones. Because I used to ride the 30 and 40 foot waves, but I surely didn't start surfing on a 40 foot wave. I was on the little ones and we get that skill step by step, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the meditation course? Um, I'm it's going to be recorded, so it's available because these are meditations that I'll be giving that, that really should be listened to over and over and over again to really draw out what is embedded in them because each meditation actually has layers. So we can do, like yoga, we could do the same practice every day, and yet the layers within it keep unfolding. So I think it's important that people understand in taking it, it's not a one-off, but it's something that they can come back to over and over again and really deepen their own practice. The other thing which I really love is it's designed not to take people away from what they're already doing, but deepen them into what they're doing. So whatever their practices are now, whatever their faith, their religion, it's meant to deepen their faith, their religion, their philosophy, or the practices that they're doing, whether they're coming from a yoga background, from a Buddhist background, a Sufi, a Muslim, a Catholic, uh, one of my students just wrote a book, I Rest in Him, which is these practices for Christians. It's meant to deepen us into our own firsthand experience. And so I, I hope people who take it can really dive deeply over and over again once they've taken the course. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, I want to thank you, Saraswati, for being the host to bring this forward. It's such a beautiful offering that you're doing, and I, I tremendous gratitude, and thank you to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Please leave us a review so that others can find us.